0: All right, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I've been uh, informed that some of our sermon notes uh, have last week's title in Scripture on it. Uh, that is this week's title in Scripture. Overflowing Grace is the title of my sermon this morning. We're going to be going from verses 12 through 17. As you are turning there... Um, I want to say thank you to everyone who came out yesterday. Uh, we had two different groups out, um, being the hands and feet of Jesus. They were dis- displaying the gospel in our community. We had one group over at the E.E. E. Waddell Center in Albemarle with KCOM. And uh, we had a couple hundred people come through, uh, toiletry items, food. The gospel was shared. Bibles were given out. People were prayed for. Even Leto was prayed for uh, because... He thinks he's 18 years old and can play basketball with a bunch of teenagers on Friday morning. Um, but uh, we had another group over at the community table. Uh, some, some ladies from our Mighty Women on mission here were over there and serving. And I believe we had 81 meals passed out. And then not only that, but they've got food ready to go for May. Um, and so um, I just want to say thank you for you guys who took your Saturday, went out and served and loved on people, shared the gospel. You impacted people through Christ. And so uh, thank you for doing that. First um, Timothy one, verses 12 through 17. If you're there, say word. word. All right. Go ahead and stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. First Timothy one, verses 12 through 17. Invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Father God, we are thankful for your word. And as we tackle one of the most important texts in all of scripture, as we look at this beautiful, enriching passage, God, prepare our hearts. Help us to be in awe of the depth and the riches and the glories of your gospel of grace. So we ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I've shared this with you before, but I felt it was timely for this passage. But in 1955, some of you probably... Um, were alive at that time and, uh, probably remember this, but there were five missionaries, including Jim Elliott and Nate Saint, who felt compelled to reach the Waldani people. I might be saying that wrong, but I sound like I'm saying it right. But the Waldani people, and they're a people group who are barbaric. They did not know the gospel. They did not know who Jesus was. They were cannibals. They were horrible people. But these five missionaries wanted to share the gospel with them. They were burdened with the fact of knowing that if these people who had never heard the name of Jesus were to die today, they would spend an eternity in a real and lasting hell. And so as they go, felt compelled because of the truth of the gospel that they held so dearly, the truth of God's grace for sinners, which we celebrate this morning. They go and they start out by flying around the settlement, dropping off gifts. Nate Saint was the man who was the pilot. And then eventually they were able to make landfall. They were able to set up camp near The Waldani settlement, they were being cautious. Some people started to come out. But then one day, January 8th, 1956, they were approached by these tribesmen with hopes to share the gospel with them. Instead, they were murdered. These five missionaries, their lives were taken from them by the very people that they had hoped to share the gospel with. Here, as we continue in first Timothy, Paul is sharing his, his desire as he has been shaped by the gospel to see people saved. We've been looking at this for the past few weeks. The past couple of weeks have been heavily focused on this, this false teaching that is, that is permeating through the church. This false teaching that is growing, that, that, that Paul is telling Timothy that, 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 that he needs to stop this to confront and correct these false teachers, this false teaching that is telling us that obedience to the law is necessary for salvation. It is a false teaching that is sending people to hell. It is a, it is a teaching that is contrary to sound doctrine, completely different from the gospel that Jesus shared. And so what Paul is doing is in this passage, as he continues this letter, is he's now presenting this true gospel. Just like the missionary is compelled to share Christ, Paul is compelled to share his story, his testimony, and to share what the true gospel is. So here's today's truth. Today's truth is the true gospel produces grace-filled disciples to the glory of a graceful God. The true gospel produces grace-filled disciples to the glory of a graceful God. Yes, obedience is a fruit of being saved, but obedience is not the seed to salvation. You see what I'm saying? We do not obey to be saved. We are saved so that we may obey. But what Paul is trying to show us here is as as even as we who are looking at what a healthy church looks like. He's showing us that disciples are people who are grace filled to the glory of a graceful God. So you sitting here this morning, hearing this message, I hope you are grace-filled disciples to the glory of a graceful God. I hope that that is your testimony today. No matter what your sin is in the past, no matter what you've struggled with, no matter who you once were, I hope your testimony at this moment is that you are a grace-filled disciple to the glory of a graceful God. Now church, I wrestled with this text this week. Because as I stand before you this morning, I am unworthy to preach something like this. I am a sinner. I struggle daily. I struggle with sin you don't even know about. My wife knows. Church, I wrestled because I am the worst of sinners, and as I stand before you this morning in this room, I am probably the worst sinner in this room. But that does not negate the fact that God is a graceful God and loves you and. F- Forgives you. So I've got three, three ways in which we can see these grace-filled disciples that Paul shows us here. So first, these are disciples who have received the gifts of God's grace. These these grace-filled disciples have received the gifts of God's grace. Look at verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to a service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and with love that are in Christ Jesus. In these two verses, we see five things that is gifted to us through the grace of God. We see strength, mercy, grace, faith and love. All of these things are gifts of God's grace and not just Gifts of salvation, but gifts as we live each and every single day. Because church, I'm not here to tell you this morning that you are strong and that you are capable. I am instead here to tell you this morning that apart from Christ, you are weak and incapable. That's why I'm, I love the fact that we sang, yet not I, but through Christ in me this morning. Because there's nothing we can do in this world except sin apart from the grace of Christ. So we need that strength that Paul's talking about here. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to a service. Church, you need strength. You need strength to wake up, strength to get out of bed. And I know I talk about it often, but I know some of you struggle. You struggled this morning to get up and even come to church. You're struggling with your sin. You're struggling with with guilt and regret. You're struggling with your past. I don't know what you're struggling with, depression, anxiety. But you have probably felt that it was hard this morning to even show your face at church. But there is no better place than you can be than right here amongst believers who are also struggling. I spoke to somebody this weekend who talked about how how they are just so stressed and how things are just going bad and it's so hard and and I don't know if I was graceful in saying this, but I, I told this person, I was like, We're all stressed. (laughs) We're all struggling. We all need strength. You need strength to go to Walmart because of the lady who cuts you off and steals your parking spot or the one who runs into your buggy because they're not watching where they're going. You know when I need strength at Walmart is when I'm walking down the aisle and somebody else is walking my way and I'm having to cut into the other side of the aisle and then somebody else is and I'm having to cut again. Guys, it's like like road traffic. Right side, go this way. Just, but we need strength, church. And I know that's cute and funny, but we need strength just to live daily. Paul is thankful for the strength that he has received. Because we see in verse 11, as he just got done talking about all the unlawful, disobedient, unjust people. He talks in verse 11 in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, with which with which I have been entrusted. And this is why he goes into this 12 through 17 Talking about this gospel that he's been entrusted with and he's thankful because as a missionary, as an apostle, as a believer, he receives strength from God's grace. Some of you this morning are missing loved ones. Some of you this morning are hurting, anxious, depressed. Some of you this morning are doubtful, guilt-ridden. And you need to look to Christ for that strength that only he provides. Only he provides. And Paul knows about that strength. He talks about in Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's not talking about you know, scoring touchdowns or getting that great job or or talking to that girl that you like. He's talking about strength in need, strength in weakness. Paul talks about how he boasts about his weaknesses, because when he is weak, Christ is strong. Church, we are grace filled disciples to the glory of a graceful God. And he is graceful to give us that strength. And if I keep staying on strength, we're going to be here till dinner time. But not only do we see strength, we see this mercy that he receives. Verse 13, Paul says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. He's, he's going back, talking about this, this law that we have, this, this, this law that exposes our sin. He's talking about how he is the unlawful. The unjust, the disobedient. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. And I was an insolent opponent. He, in those three adjectives, lays out how he has disobeyed all ten of the commandments. But what does he say? I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now listen, That's not why he received mercy. He didn't earn his mercy because he was acting in some way. He doesn't earn mercy. He receives mercy because he's in need of mercy. I received this mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. I received it because I was in need of it. And what is mercy? Mercy is not receiving something You deserve mercy is when we deserve discipline from our parents for disobeying. But yet they decide not to punish us, but give us grace. Mercy as a believer, as as a human mercy, apart from Christ, is where we deserve hell. But yet Christ withholds it from us because of his mercy towards us. Paul receives mercy church and not because he earns it but because he needs it church you cannot earn mercy from god there's no way that you can live there's no act that you can provide there's it doesn't matter how much money you give to the church Man, you can be the person that builds all these churches and every ounce of income that you receive goes to the church. You're not going to be able to purchase your way into heaven. Roman Catholics have tried it for centuries and it doesn't work. You receive mercy because you're in need of it. Paul was in need of it. If we were to go back to Romans 9, I'm sorry, Acts 9, we we would see this testimony, this story of a man who is ravaging the church. A man who is, who is out to capture Christians and imprison them or even kill them or even hold the coats of people who are stoning Christians. This man who is out to destroy the church. But yet, Christ comes before him. This man, as we, if you've read Acts 9, or as you were with us as we went through it, is Paul, who once was Saul. This man who receives mercy. Not only does he receive mercy, but verse 14, he receives grace. And I love, I love the way he writes it. And the grace of our Lord Overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What, what is, what does it mean that something overflows? It means that it's pouring out. It means that it is never ending. This overflowing of grace that Paul received from Christ is never ending. Church, the grace that you receive from Christ is never ending. There's no amount of sin, no type of sin that you can commit where Christ shuts off the valve of grace. It's overflowing. And Paul receives it. Paul, who, as we're going to see in verse 15, is the worst of sinners, receives this grace. Church, you can be the worst of sinners, and yet the grace of Christ is overflowing for you. To put it in perspective, it's an amount of grace that even Adolf Hitler could have encountered Christ with. It's an amount of grace, if we want to put a little more modern, that Osama bin Laden, or maybe a little more modern. I was eighth grade when that went down. A little more modern. I mean, an amount of grace that anybody that you can think of that needs salvation. Nobody's too far gone, church. Nobody. Not only do we see a gift of grace through the grace itself. And, and, and church, look, under, understand, there's grace and there's grace. There's grace that forgives us and gives us salvation. And then there's grace where we receive all these other things. Strength, love, faith, mercy. All of these are acts of grace. Because what is grace? Grace is something that you receive that you don't deserve. Mercy is something you don't receive that you do deserve. Church, you don't deserve forgiveness. You don't deserve salvation. You don't deserve the very air you breathe at this moment. You don't deserve the company you have in this room. But yet God is a graceful God. A graceful God. We see, fourthly, a gift of grace is faith. Church, let me be clear. You don't earn grace through your faith. Because then you're earning grace. Grace, faith is a gift of God's grace that he gives to you. For by grace, you are saved through faith. You're not saved by faith through grace. You're saved by grace through faith. Paul has received this gift of faith through the grace of God. And fifthly, not only that, but this love that is in Christ Jesus. This love that, that we receive from Christ, for Christ, and through Christ. Man, I came up with a sermon just now and I didn't even know it. This is a love that we receive from Christ because we love because He first loved us, right church? It's a love that Christ gives us and we see that love and it is nailed to the cross. The blood spilling out, the body that was broken. We see that love that was given to us. We see this love that as he loves us, we're now able to love him. Because of his love for us, we now can love him back. We now can obey. We now can cherish. We now can adore because of God's grace towards us. And it's a love that is through Christ, a love that we have for each other in our world today. These are gifts of God's grace to us, gifts that we can receive. Church Romans 520 says now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. This this abounding grace, this overflowing grace that God gives to us, we can receive it freely. But how? How can we receive it freely? Number two, not only are disciples, are they people who have received gifts of God's grace? These are disciples who have believed the gospel of God's grace. These grace-filled disciples are disciples who have believed the gospel of God's grace. Look at verses 15 and 16. Paul says this. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Church, this is one of the best verses of scripture. Underline it, highlight it, circle it, star it, memorize it, plaster it on your wall, Put it on the bumper sticker on your car. Whatever you do, this is truth. And this is deep and rich. I don't think, I think a lot of times we just, we just read it and we gloss over it. And it's just like, wow, that's, that's, that's great. But do we realize how deep that verse goes? Do we realize the the riches that as we mine the treasure of that verse how deep it goes how satisfying it is that this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance this is a gospel we in this verse we see the re, the reliability of this gospel it is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance it is reliable it is something we can trust in church Do you have people in in your life that you thought you could trust him, but yet they've broken their word to you? You've lost the trust in them or they've lost their trust in you. Church, let me let me tell you this. God is a trustworthy God. And when his word says that we can trust it, we can trust it. And church, this saying is reliable. It is trustworthy, this saying that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. This, this is the gospel church that the son of God has stepped down from glory to invade our world so that he may draw us to himself so that we may worship at the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is The Lord God Almighty who stepped down from glory, laid aside his crown of glory to take on a crown of thorns for you and me. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. It is reliable. This gospel, we not only see the reliability of it, we see the extent of it in this verse. What is the extent of it? It's universal. It is a universal scope. This gospel is for all people of all nations. We don't pick and choose who we can share the gospel with. We share it with everybody. I don't care the color of their skin. I don't care the the race. I don't care where they're from. I don't care their gender. I don't care about their sin. I don't care about their problems. I don't care about their circumstance. I don't care about their financial issue. I only care whether or not they know the truth of Jesus Christ. But church, let me, let me ask you something. Are you praying daily for the burden of the lost? Are you asking God daily, give me a burden for people to know Jesus Christ? Because I think we've become complacent to this idea of evangelism, this biblical idea of evangelism. Church, if this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, if it is true, then why is it that we are not proclaiming it? And I think, I think one of the problems we have is that one quote that came out several years ago. We don't know if it's a true quote, But it's a quote that I hate from St. Francis of Assisi. Where it says, preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words. Now I get what the quote is going with here. That we are to preach the gospel with our actions. That we are to love people. That we are to show the love of Christ to people. That we are to display the gospel to our community like we did yesterday. But church, if we're not proclaiming the gospel, if we're not seeking out opportunities to talk to people about Jesus, you're not you're not preaching the gospel. Preach the gospel always and as necessary use words. It is necessary For you to use words in church, I think we've gotten complacent. We've gotten comfortable with this idea of I don't have to mess up with my words about what the gospel is. I don't have to put myself out there and be uncomfortable. I just got to be nice to people. Church, you just being nice to people is still sending people to hell. If this if, if this extent of the gospel is universal, if this scope is universal, then church, we are called to preach it. You're, you are called to share Jesus with your coworkers, Parents, you're called to share Jesus with your kids. Don't rely on me. Don't rely on Leto or, or the Barbies or Colby and Toby. Don't rely on us to share the gospel with your kids. You need to be the ones doing it. That's why we have the New City Catechism. That's why we're doing this with you. We want you to be teaching your kids. That's what catechism means. Teaching. Teach your kids the gospel truth, parents, husbands, husbands. You need to be sharing the gospel with your wife. If this is truly a universal scope, then who's the closest person? Then your spouse. We see this universal extent of the gospel. We see the target of the gospel here. What is the target? That Christ Jesus came into the world, universal, to save who? Sinners. That's the target. The church, who's a sinner? We all are. Every individual. We are sinners in need of God's grace. We see the target. But too often, church, we act like the Pharisee in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Too often we're like the Pharisee who's praying in the temple saying, Dear God, thank you that I'm not like that guy. One of the things that I look for on Facebook is our Stanley County Sheriff's Department Facebook page. When they post the mug shots of the people that they've arrested... And the reason why is because most of them are coming out of the town that I live in. I live in Stanfield. But for some reason, everybody and their mom has a meth lab in Stanfield. I, I, I don't get it. We're a nice neighborhood, at least I thought. The church, as we, as we look at that, as we see... That, we see the, this target. We see this target. We're all sinners. We're all in need of salvation. We're all in need of grace and mercy. Fourthly, not, not on there. This is part of number two still. We see the purpose of the gospel. Verse 16. But I received mercy for this reason, for this purpose. That in me, as the foremost, the worst of sinners, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in Him for eternal life. Church, we see the purpose of the gospel is to display the patience of Christ. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Church, Nobody is too far gone if they're breathing. The only time you are too far gone for the gospel is when you've died. Paul was in his 20s, I think, when he received the gospel and was transformed. I've seen pastors lately who have been baptizing people in their 60s and 70s and 80s because they are just now professing Christ. Church, but here's the thing. We see this purpose of the gospel. Not only do we see that it is to display his patience, but it is is to show people that nobody, nobody is too far from receiving Christ. If Paul is the example, Paul who killed people, Paul, who chased down the church, chased down Christians, tried to shut the doors, burn it down. Paul, who thought he was doing it under the service of God. Paul believed the gospel of God's grace and is transformed. Church, we are grace-filled disciples to the glory of a graceful God. So number three, we are grace-filled disciples who have acknowledged the glory of God's grace. We are grace-filled disciples who have acknowledged the glory of God's grace. Verse 17, this is where Paul concludes this portion of the gospel. He gives what is known as a doxology. Now we've sung the doxology in our church before. But this is a doxology in which it is a closing statement that brings glory and completion to God. Verse 17, it says, To the King of the ages, the honor, I'm sorry, to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, as grace filled disciples, you receive no credit for your salvation. Jonathan Edwards once said that the only thing that we bring to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. Your belief in Christ brings no credit to your salvation. Your faith in Christ brings no credit to your salvation. Your recognition that you need Jesus brings no credit to your salvation. All of that is a gift of God's grace. Can we say that? as we trust in the sovereignty of God, as God works within our lives, it is the work of God that brings you to salvation. It is the work of God that crushes your stone cold heart of sin and gives you a heart of flesh. It is the work of God that transforms your heart and your mind to truly understand who Christ is. So church, we acknowledge the glory of God's grace because to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the one who has the power to transform our lives. He's the one who has the power to transform our marriages. He's the one who has the power to bring a dead soul to life. Church. He's the one who can bring revival to our church. He's the king. He's immortal, never ending, never ceasing, never failing. He's invisible. He is the only God. Church, there's no other God that we can bow down to and trust in. And and too often we trust in the gods of of our own life. These idols, ourselves, our pride... Other people. But we must acknowledge the glory of God's grace because he deserves, as we see in 17, honor and glory forever and ever. Why am I saved? Because of God's grace. How is it that I came to know Christ? Because of God's grace. How is it that my friend or family member or loved one who is so sinful and so lost, how is it that they're going to be able to come to know Christ because of God's grace? So what do we do with that? We get on our hands and knees and we plead with the one, the only one who can transform lives. The only one who can bring dead souls to life. The only one who can bring salvation. You can't. It's not on you. It's just on you to share the gospel with them. Because God, through his glory and grace, is the one who works. In church, he is a graceful and glorious God. He desires for all to be saved. But the sad sad state of the matter is not all people will be saved. Nate Saint was one of those missionaries who was killed by the tribesmen of the Waldani people. One of the five. Nate had a son named Steve. Steve Saint. And um, he was only five at the time of Nate's death. After those missionaries were killed by the Waldani people, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, those three other missionaries. Elizabeth Elliott came a couple years later, brought people, started ministering to the Waldani people. Elizabeth Elliott is Jim Elliott's wife. Started ministering to the Waldani people. These, these men and women were sharing the gospel with the men and women of the tribe. And... Church, Steve Saint became real close with this man named Min- Minkaye, I think is how you pronounce his name, Minkaye. Minkaye was the man who killed Steve Saint's father. Minkaye came to know the truth of the gospel. And Steve Saint, whose father was killed by Minkaye, claimed Minkaye as his adopted father. Minkaye died just 2 years ago, April of 2020. And Steve Saint wrote the obituary of the man who killed his father. And Steve Saint spoke about how godly and gracious and loving that this man is. He spoke about how he took his last breath here on earth in April of 2020 but when he opened his eyes he was standing face to face to his Savior and I would even say Nate Saint was there to welcome him as well. Church, the gospel of God's grace. The extent is worldwide. It's universal. The target is for sinners. The purpose is for Christ's patience and our examples. And what we see through the gospel of God's grace is that nobody, 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 You nor me are too far gone to receive the gospel of God's grace today. So what do we do with this church as I close this out? And I am going to close this out. We must be in awe of the gospel of God's grace. And never take it for granted. Look in the mirror Look in the mirror and ask God, why would you save a sinner like me? We should never be in awe of the grace that God provides. Secondly, we should never take for granted the opportunities that God gives us to share the gospel with our neighbors and our loved ones, our co-workers, and our friends. Church, on the bulletin, on the front page of of your bulletin at the very bottom is our strategy here at Red Cross Baptist Church. Our mission here is to know Christ and to make Him known. But our strategy explains how we do that. It's a four-part strategy, and it's on your bulletin. It is declare the word, disciple the believer, display the gospel, deploy the church. We declare the Word. Through the declaring and teaching of the Word, we are discipling believers and equipping them to be followers. That's what a disciple is, a follower of Christ. And what are we equipping you to do? To display the gospel with your neighbors, in the community, at your homes, at your schools. And we display that gospel through community, through loving acts of service but we deploy the church as well. What does it mean to be deployed? We're deployed on mission. It's a serious word. It's an active word. We're deployed as soldiers to go and proclaim this gospel that has transformed our lives in our backyards, in the United States, and across the world. So church, may we be a people who are grace-filled disciples who acknowledge the glory of a graceful God. And may we leave here today thinking what a mighty God we serve and a gracious God we serve. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. You are so gracious. We do not deserve who you are. We do not deserve your grace and mercy. We do not deserve the love that you showed us as you sacrificed your son on the cross for our sin and shame. But God, this morning, help us to be in awe of that gospel. That graceful gospel that you've provided for us. Help us to be in awe and help us to preach it to ourselves daily as we live to be strengthened, as we live daily and fight our sin, as we live daily to share this gospel to our loved ones and our neighbors. God, may we be grace-filled disciples. But God, help us, anyone in this room, who has never put their faith and trust in you, who has never turned to you for that grace that you've provided. God, I pray. I pray that you would grab their hearts, convict them of their sins, show them the truth of your Savior. God, we thank you. We thank you for your grace, your overflowing and amazing grace. In your son's name we pray. Amen.